Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. Dave the Clone here, checking in for another entry in the Feeling It, Healing It Diary of Recovery. Checking in at 186 days sober, so definitely crossed the six-month mark, and uh, thank you all for being along with me on that journey. Really uh, continuing the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous feel to all of this. Um, Reminding everyone that you're not alone. That's a big one still. I know that was our, our first entry and it's so many entries ago now, but the more and more people I meet or get in touch with for the first time uh, as as the uh, awareness of this show continues to spread and I continue finding myself in new um, not only support groups but other podcasting groups and meeting new content creators and talking about this show it, it's amazing to me how immediately it unlocks um people's willingness to share that they've been through similar situations and that uh, it always comes back to this feeling of you know until I started opening up about it I did feel like I was one of the only people going through this and uh, and so I think it's always as much as I like to sort of recap all the different areas we've touched on at the beginning of each entry um it's surprising and almost a little heartbreaking that the year not alone is such a significant um, part of this. And um, maybe acknowledging that or realizing that we've been operating from a place where we felt like we're alone is also part of the key of realizing the strength within you know um i don't know it's it's a very it's a phenomenon that's kind of defying a full Explanation, You know, I know all of us have different experiences and um, that still strikes me as such a big part of the irony with all this is that we have such different experiences, but so many similarities 
you know, in the way that our stories are unfolding here. Um, even from the interview I did with John Davidson, obviously also not his real name, you could tell that for all these situations that start in very different places with very different people, there are so many parallels that it becomes... I don't know, almost like science fiction in a way, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I want to keep doing this. Obviously, from the uh, from the count of days, you can tell it's been a little while. It's been a couple weeks since I've recorded this uh, summer as it has started here. June has been a very um, hectic and busy month for me. With the upcoming move at the end of the month, that's probably going to spill over a little into July. Um, and that's sort of contributing to some of the things that are still happening. Like mornings are still very hard for me. Um, I'm still waking up in this panic is the only word that really kind of describes it. But it's just sort of the, as the process of the day lets all the sort of overwhelm Fade, And as you start to make progress on anything, you know, whether I focus on work or recording an episode or writing a blog post, it's like once you get started, it starts to take a back seat. But, you know, the minute I wake up, that first the first moments of experience are this overwhelming feeling of the weight of the world of everything I'm dealing with waiting for me and I wonder if that's kind of related to that dissociation of displacement because one of the things that keeps coming up for me even with this new location which I really feel like once I'm over there I'm I'm interested to see what it feels like being in a new environment um a lot of the folks in my support system uh, mostly my family are very optimistic that being in a new environment with new energy is going to be key um, and very uh, instrumental in helping shift my mind. And even I can, you know, I can tell even from like the last entry where I was a little bit more amped up, a little more optimistic. I wouldn't say my optimism is faded, but this sort of sense of being tired, you know, has really kind of kicked in and the further and further I get away from my setback the uh, the truth of that sanctuary and no contact is really setting in again so for any of anyone else who's struggling with that out there um, it's a little bit of the proof that setbacks don't mean to stop healing and don't mean to dive back in I do I have been seeing a lot of um, hosts in some of the support groups I'm in where people are asking like, all right, you know, we went no contact for 10 days and then I broke down and I texted them, what should I do? And, you know, for as much as it's an advice seeking situation and they're asking for help, there's always that tinge of, well, you kind of know you're already not doing what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and I feel like in a lot of ways, trying to get past the trauma bond, trying to get past the, the trapped in your own mind and emotions 
that results from these sort of toxic situations is always rife with what could be labeled addict behavior, you know, like where you're actively trying to justify making a bad choice, right? And, um, you know, I think for me, for sure, the fact that I'm at that, like, this sort of two-year anniversary spot in the ongoing adventure and drama of my life of when this nightmare really took shape has been putting me in a much more reflective place. And I think there, uh, that is sort of what's been leading to me kind of not wanting to open the door again, but definitely thinking about my ex more than I should. And I, at the same time have that feeling like, you know, I, I, it's been two years um, I really should be over this, you know, now that should is a problematic word. They're, they're, where are we getting ideas like should from, you know, what's the guidebook as the world continues to sort of spin further and further out of control. And we learn more and more that things we've held as sort of cornerstones in our popular knowledge and, uh, sort of structure of our society may not have been as well-founded in truth as we would like. Um, and there's all kinds of speculation as to what the near and far future are going to look like far more than what we ever imagined they would. It's kind of hard to know what to trust anymore. The media is full of all kinds of twisted versions of stories, right? Governments clearly are not uh, as trustworthy as we once thought they were. As I sit here reflecting on all of this on a very rainy day in June, visiting my sister in Virginia, sitting on their porch, I'm reminded of how many times I sat out here at the beginning of the nightmare, um, not even reflecting on recovery at that point. At that point, it was reflecting on the hurt and the how did this happen far far from any elements that could even be seen as rediscovery of myself into recovery even though at that time I did that landmark training and maybe right after I finished that I felt like I was going to be okay you know um our emotions are very complicated things our minds are very complicated things in fact I was just uh put an audition in for an audiobook narration all about understanding your operation of your brain and how for a long time we've always felt like we're at the mercy of our brain but there are things you can do to sort of hijack it back out of the matrix and be more in control and make it work for you in a more positive way and I think with all of these sort of elements of this journey of recovery, uh, that's a big part of it is realizing that no matter what's going on externally, no matter what's going on in the world, there's only so much that you have control over. And to think that you have to actively work against the parts of your brain that are contributing to you staying in this malaise is, is a kind of interesting idea, you know? It's sort of like... Uh, why would something within you be so set on uh, <laughs> keeping you in pain? Um, 
But at the same time, you know, we have to acknowledge a, a scientific fact that a lot of these toxic situations, especially when there's narcissism involved and manipulation and trauma bonding, it is actually resulting in legitimate brain damage. Um, a lot of the information that's been surfacing from some of our, uh, I want to call them, you know, warriors out there, the ones who are really actively trying to help us uh, survivors. I don't want to say victims, but survivors of these situations. You know, they're pointing to the fact that the long-term effects of having been in these situations and the longer you've been in, the more likely and more prominent some of these brain chemistry changes and neuropathways and damage, lasting damage might be, there's been measurable results in testing that has been done to show that trauma bonding will cause the hippocampus to shrink and the amygdala, the amygdala to enlarge. And the hippocampus is one of the areas or is the area of the brain that, um, holds short-term memory and then will transfer it for more permanent storage to the rest of the brain. And the amygdala is, among other things, in charge of controlling and processing and handling your emotions. So, you know, one thing that um, a lot of us might be experiencing is the idea that especially if it's been a while or especially if you were in a situation for a long time and now it's been a little while and you're no contact and you're trying to process how did I get here because um, that's I think I'm squarely stuck in that you know one of the hardest parts for me to move on even in the sort of uh, career side of it while I still have a lot of projects going on with my freelance clients I'm still in the job hunt <laughs> possibly doing this show we could be holding it back a little bit you know one of the things that is very clear about the world at large that is not fair and is not as much uh, about trying to make sure we all live the best lives possible is that the uh, job market is really wacky right now and I'm sure any and every reason they can find to not give you an opportunity or bring you on board uh, they will use, whether they tell you that or not, you know, we keep getting these form letters back saying, thanks for your interest in our company, but we're going to go with somebody else. I kind of feel like there should be some legal requirement, <laughs> you know, to be, to give me at least a hint as to why, because it's a little ridiculous to think that, oh, you know, you're putting out a podcast that talks about how hard your life has been and talks about having been, uh, traumatized by a toxic relationship as if it's this thing we went into knowingly to make sure our life got harder you know um it's almost like you now legally you can't hold someone's disability against them right but why are you able to find these aspects and hide behind them as reasons to not hire people not that i'm saying i know that that's what's happening but when you're not getting any information back it sort of leaves you guessing. And so in any case, still on a hunt for something uh, a little bit more regular, a little bit more steady. 
Um, and I do have a couple prospects, a couple irons in the fire that I think um, as much as they're a little bit further away from my particular career path of choice or skill set, could at least fill the gap for a little while, which, you know, I think comes with the territory of having to survive. You know, a lot of this is sort of dealing with reality versus what we've held in our minds as you know, what we were hoping and dreaming for. You know, not everybody gets to be the leading role in a movie. Not everybody gets to win the lottery. Not everybody gets to own a super yacht. And as much as I feel like a Tyler Durden speech is starting here, you know, there's sort of an undeniable fact about that. Regardless of how many people are posting on Instagram and TikTok about these miracle, oh my God, you're not making $10,000 a month by working two hours a day with just your laptop and your phone and your Wi-Fi. What the hell's wrong with you? Okay. Are you going to show me how to do that? Yeah, click the link in my bio and then I'm going to basically make it sound like I'm going to teach it to you for free. And then after you're taking the course for a week, I'm going to suddenly hit you up for 1500 to 2500 to, I swear, one of them. Ugh. I mean, it's almost like you feel like you're always making a deal with the devil in some way because one of them, I was like, all right, I took your course and I listened at the end of the course. They're like, all right, now we want you to join the elite level of this company. And I swear you're going to be making tons of money, but it costs $15,000. But within two months, you're going to make three times that. And you're like, well, dude, what am I supposed to do for those two months if I don't have? First of all, if I had $15,000 just to burn like that, I probably wouldn't be seeking one of these <laughs> paths to fortune and creating an online business, wouldn't I? You know what I mean? It's like, come on, you know? But it's easy to sort of be confused when you're still also suffering from, you know, wondering how your life got to this point in the first place. So I feel like I got a little off on a little bit of a tangent there, but... It's about facing the reality, right? You know, um, one of the things I've been noticing about how this feels is uh, realizing as I'm watching movies <laughs> and listening to songs that uh, I, I used to listen to in my younger years, maybe in the teenage years or the early 20s in college, and thinking you could relate to some of the things being said in the lyrics or some of the things you're seeing happening on screen. And it's not until you've had a little bit more life experience that you're suddenly like, oh, my God. Wow. I really had no idea what that meant. Like, I don't know, the, the, the sort of more extravagant, outlandish version of my imagination used to see things like uh, the only one that's coming to mind right now, and it's a recent movie. So it's not necessarily something I saw as a teenager, but you could tell this sort of style of, uh, of this character. Thinking like um, if you've seen the Kong Skull Island uh, movie with Samuel L. Jackson, when they find John C. Riley, who's been on the island for decades, surviving on his own. Um, or even like thinking way back, think like Jumanji, you know, think any of these movies where somebody is marooned somewhere and winds up surviving on their own castaway. That's a big one. Um, or even like thinking about like shows like Lost that I used to watch when I was in my 20s, when I was first in the... Uh, man, is it possible? Is it 20s? I don't know, maybe I was in my... Yeah, 
late 20s, early 30s. You know, the idea of being pulled out of the complexity of what day-to-day life in society and civilization is like. And being on a somewhat permanent vacation, it's just that you also don't have some of the conveniences like indoor plumbing or grocery stores. You know, the idea of finding your way and becoming sort of unstoppable because you could live off the land and you could build yourself a hut and you could figure out how to get as close to those conveniences as possible but without the complexities of like credit scores and insurance payments and social security and politics although there are politics when you look at lost or as long as anything where there's a group of people there's definitely politics but you know it was just the idea of like Getting out of the noise and living a more simple version. Well, to a degree, the last two years has felt an awful lot like that. You know, like one of the things I was noticing today as I'm watching my nephews go off to soccer camp, so I won't see them until they get back in the afternoon, and then thinking, oh, you know, I'm going home in a couple days, and it's always hard for me when I leave my family. I always get that sort of sad, I, I like, I miss you already kind of thing going on. And for a lot of this, these hard times for me, like, that I've been going through, thinking about what my ne- my niece and my nephews, what they're perceiving of me as I'm struggling, is a driving force in wanting to really, like, right the ship and get back on my feet, because not only... Do I worry about being an example for them? I also don't want them to be so exposed to the fact that dreams don't always come true the way we wanted them to, or that everything can get really hard really fast. And there's some areas of that that I guess could be like a good lesson for them that, you know, you have to really know, you know, figure out what you want and always be ready to work for it. But. I just, I remember being really young and my uncle on my mom's side was in the National Guard and was also a doctor. You know, he was, I think by the time I was aware, he was already through medical school, but I just had this sense of somebody who's got like a really good path and a really good handle on how to move forward and it was someone I looked up to um and even my parents too you know like before you realize that everybody's got complications and they and that you know even though you when you're little your parents are a god they're the ones that you turn to for everything and then as you grow up you realize oh they're just winging it like the rest of us they don't necessarily know everything and I don't want that time for my niece and nephews to end yet you know and I I don't think it will because their parents are all a lot more put together than I am right now but I don't want to be the example of what what you don't want to become you know I don't want to be the black sheep of the family and I very much feel that I am as much as um my family assures me I'm not. I almost think in some ways maybe they're just being really nice about it because piling on to somebody who is dealing with trouble, that sort of level of burden isn't exactly helpful. 
And maybe I'm just beating myself up for you guys live on the microphone right now. I don't know. Um, and I think in a way, hanging on to that fantasy of like the survivor marooned on an island who had to figure it out and do it their way and become like sort of a badass in ways the other folks around them still in civilization with all of its conveniences don't have to be is a bit of an escape because they never show you what those years alone are like you know you go from seeing them when they crashed on the island to then coming back to them you know when our new characters find them decades later and they usually have beard and long raggedy hair and are all muscular because they couldn't eat junk food and had to basically exercise all the time just to survive. Getting a little back back to the hunter-gatherer version of humans that we originally were created to be. Um, and for as much as that seemed so cool when I used to watch it in movies, or even thinking like a Corbin Dallas, I kind of in a lot of ways feel like I'm, I'm at that level where... It's like, oh, man, you know, you had some glory days behind you, but now it's like you're driving this taxi, <laughs> you're trying to quit smoking, you live in a cube apartment, stacked up thousands of stories above the ground in a city where they don't even know what the ground level looks like anymore. And it's less than glamorous, <laughs> you know, and it's almost kind of like you're just getting, you're going through the motions. And it's like, I struggle with, having once thought that would be cool with no real context for do you realize what it would feel like to have been going through that for uh I have no idea why it's so loud when these cars go by like just cause it's raining outside <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it I know everybody out there listening like well Dave you should be in a studio like yeah but you know I think for me like being outside having the ability to have a little bit of nature around. I mean, I'm sure part of that is also coming from the fact that the environment I have been in for the last two years has been less than helpful and less than positive and less than encouraging. So it's almost like, again, like watching these movies and thinking that these character situations would be so cool to go through. It's an escape, you know? And I never really realized how much of an escape it was until you're going through it going, oh, man, is this what it would be like to be that character? You know, like take a movie like Heat, 1994 or 95's Heat with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. And, you know, there's a certain level of De Niro and his crew of high line, high profile um, thieves, bank robbers. They almost make living a life of crime look really, really cool, you know? I mean, uh, Val Kilmer's character is able to have a home and a wife and a kid and a really nice car, but then you got De Niro's character who's basically living in a really cool house on the beach but with no furniture in it, <laughs> you know? And here I am, one of the sort of stress factors of this move is trying to decide, should I store the furniture I've been carrying around with me for the last decade or should I just leave it all behind and let the chips fall where they may if things don't work out in this new space. I'm kind of landing on somewhere in the let's store it for a month or two and see how it goes um, just in case because I really don't have the resources to 
have to buy a new bedroom set and, and find another place if it doesn't work out in the place I'm going to. And all of these things, I think like one of the, one of the big lessons I'm, I feel like is being pressed upon me, but I, and I understand, but I've not fully embraced is the having to let go is a big part of this, you know, having the faith in yourself. And, and so I know as much as I, I feel like I took a, I'm taking a risk on myself by moving into a spot that's going to be a little more difficult to financially swing. I'm still not as ready to have that much faith to let go of my bed, <laughs> you know, or let go of the little bit of furniture I have that would make moving into an unfurnished place survivable. And so, you know... It's like I remember, and it's like I guess I have all of these images from movies that flash in my mind going, oh, so this would be the De Niro version, this would be the Bruce Willis version. And when you were a teenager and had no idea what having been through something like this would be like, it was sort of like, wow, man, it must be cool to be that guy. And now you're like, oh, man, <laughs> at times I feel like I am these guys and I don't like it, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's sort of, I think, too, I guess, like that final loss of innocence of like, all right, you know, movies are fun to watch, but to put so much stock in them emotionally anymore might not be such a great idea. Or like I was listening earlier, I was listening to Nine Inch Nails Hurt, and it's almost like every lyric in that song if you haven't been through anything in life yet, you know, it's one thing to hear it as a teenager and go, oh my God, it's speaking to me. And you go, really? I mean, if, <laughs> if you've never been with somebody who, who I will bring you down, I will make you hurt, you know, and, and you have no concept of, I mean, what a, what a better anthem for people dealing with the aftermath of trauma bond, right? You know, I will let you down. I will make you hurt. If I could start again a million miles away, I would keep myself. I would find a way. Um, it sounds really pretty when you put it over music and when you kind of sing from a place where you almost think, all right, well, it's not like that anymore for you because you're singing about it. <laughs> or maybe his singing about it is the same... Um, processing and healing that doing this podcast is for me but it's when you're in the middle when you're in the part that the movies don't show the hard part the work that you're suddenly like my god i mean i can't for as much as there are all those memes that say you know there's no way humans were created to just get up grind away every day go back to sleep and rinse and repeat just to pay bills you know, you kind of feel like there's no way that we were meant to have to be dealing with this as well. This sort of level of emotional malaise and intellectual terrorism and all of these things that come through wearing the mask of love and and really masquerading as something ideal that we're all we've all dreamed about forever you know one of the things i was talking about with um then my new landlord is how easy it becomes to suffer from loneliness you know and i think that's where my first element of 
realizing some of these kind of idealized character tropes are really just good for art and not for reality because you know think about I feel this lonely and I've had people around me you know even though some of them haven't been as positive as as I was hoping would be I at least have had family and some friends who are still very supportive. You know, my buddy, a really good friend from college, is constantly texting me and checking in on me. Um, a friend of mine who's a, a, a podcasting friend and a screenwriter from uh, from overseas who I've never even met in person, but we've been friends um, friends on you know the internet and have collaborated on projects together for the last five or six years you know constantly checking in asking how i'm doing um and i know they're listening to this show and they're constantly giving me feedback and uh being very supportive and encouraging about me continuing the show because I think for as difficult as all this is, having this level of sort of letting the poison out and sharing my story with other people who I know are going through similar things. Already I've had, um, from this new podcasting group I just joined, uh, two people, when I mentioned that I'm doing this kind of a show and I'm looking for stories, have already been like, dude, I absolutely want to talk to you about this. <laughs> you know, and so... Um, I know that there's value beyond me just kind of unburdening myself, but there's a certain amount of that being necessary, I think, in an order for me to sort of really fully process everything. And I kind of always have this sense of wishing I could go back or wishing I could, you know, like when I... The what I used to think of as just nostalgia when I would listen to these songs or watch these movies and remember being younger, remember the time being a different time. I think a big part of it too is also being disappointed in the way the world has changed and, and the direction it's going in. I always used to say um, something that we can kind of all be thankful for or hang our hats on is that Wow, it is really, nature is really contributing to this episode. <laughs> you would have never thought. It's like, you know, I like sitting out in the rain and being covered. We don't. I don't have that at the place I've been at for the last two years. A covered porch where I could actually still, you know, the rain does have a certain uh, therapeutic quality to it. You know, all these nature sound tapes that they used to sell, right? And even that, like, you know, so like that reminds me of the days that I'm talking about where I feel like... Um, being a teenager in the 90s, growing up in the 80s, the world, maybe, I mean, maybe if I was this age then, I would feel the same way I do now, but at least being young back then, the same Jeep is going back and forth and super loud. Like, why? Um, what I keep coming back to is the feeling that I feel like there used to be hope. And... With the way things have changed, with the way that the world has changed, with the sort of almost feeling of the powers that be have a disdain for us, you know, so many things pointing to like, oh, you know, stuff they used to joke about when I was a kid, like, oh, they're putting chemicals in the food and 
oh, these preservatives are so bad for you. Oh, you got to watch how much salt you eat. You never know what's going on. And now people are like, have you looked at the chemicals in this cereal? Do you know what they're dropping on us with these chemtrails? It's sort of like, what the hell kind of world are we living in here? What happened? How did we go from like the 90s? Where Earth Day, you know, felt like a big, cool thing that we were all doing. And um, it felt like we were moving in a little bit more of a utopian direction. How did we wind up in corporatized, privatized, oligarchy, you know? Like, how is a pandemic not just a pandemic, but it was actually a plot by the evil powers that be, whether they're the Illuminati or whatever they really are, you know? And it's sort of like, I think it's like that piled on top of the fact that on the personal level, because that's all the stuff we can't control. That's all the too big. That's all the stuff that the movies tell us. And where I was originally going with this is that for as bad as it might be and as, as evil, as much evil might exist out there, there's always just enough people or or consciousness on the side of good right there's just enough yin to the yang there's always an ethan hunt or a john mclean or somebody out there you know to be able to tip the scales so that evil can't win and i think that was the sort of generalized theme Back in the 80s and 90s Even when you would watch all the movies That seem to be warning us About the time we're living in now Is uh, Evil can't win Because there's enough good And then When you follow this pattern right, We move into the early 2000s And what happens We get the rise of the anti-hero Where we're starting to see what would have traditionally been a good, a bad guy being more humanized and suddenly we're identifying with them. So now you have your like Walter White's <laughs> and, and folks that you're like, oh, well, you know, I could kind of see why he did this. Even like Magneto, you know, I used to love Magneto in the comic books and feel awkward about it because he was clearly supposed to be a bad guy. But, you know, complexity, Maleficent, you know, she was the evil Sorceress of Sleeping Beauty <laughs> And and uh, You know Now it's like we've got That being sort of Seen in a hero's light And now all of a sudden We're in the time where It seems like There's a chance that evil could win You know I think we're being broken down And so you pile that on top of the fact. So that's going on on the big scale. And then on your personal scale, you have the, oh, this person that I was in love with, this person that I risked my whole life to be with, turned out to be a microcosm, <laughs> at least for me. You know, and that's the hard part, too, is that, you know, especially in the situations of toxicity, especially in the situations of narcissism, you know that you know what happened. Although sometimes, going back to that amygdala hippocampus thing, the hippocampus having shrunk, you know, once it's been a while, you kind of start to think back. There's a phenomenon of not, almost not remembering really what was the abuse, you know? And this is why after going, the folks who are just trying to go no contact right now, yeah, this is like, we've come full circle. <laughs> Dave's segue through all this movie and music nonsense has gotten us back to where we started. 
folks who are going no contact and then you know the pain of that loss being exacerbated by the no contact and you suddenly think to yourself was it so bad uh, why do i still miss them maybe maybe we could give this another shot i mean i i'm not saying i'm immune to this i've had these thoughts a lot two years down the road looking at my financial situation being like in, in total ruin, looking at the fact that I can't seem to get like a real job and that as much as I'm happy and grateful for all the work I've been getting as a freelancer, this constant fear in the back of my mind about what are you going to do when this starts to dry up because it eventually will. Um, and still, in the midst of all that, remembering moments of... You know, her sending me emails saying, please come home or, you know, I never really wanted you to leave. And you go, well, was it that bad? You know, and that's part of the damage when your hippocampus is shrunk and it's almost like, you know, all the stuff that's in there. That was the immediate stuff when the bad was really bad. Like for me, I, I refer to it as the nuclear meltdown when the nuke went off. It was very clear. This is not a sustainable situation. And for as much as it's breaking my heart and destroying me, I have to find the strength within to be able to survive and get away from it. And even if that requires, as I've often said, holding an emotional gun to my own head to not break the no contact because it's the only way. Even having gone through that, you'll then still find yourself down the road you know, one of the reasons that setback, one of the reasons that setback was so impactful is because of the feeling, much like an addict getting a hit of that chemical that they kicked, the feeling of just being in contact again. It reminds you of all the good times because... And at least I, I at least feel some solace in, in all the experts agreeing that there were good times. The only problem is, is that we're, they were being faked by one of you, you know. And so for as much as you know that that's what happened, whether you needed to carry a recorder in your pocket to make sure you captured it so you could always revisit it to re for your own sanity understand which I even though I did that I can't even bring if I even hear within like a couple seconds as I'm going through files and I click just to make sure that these files are all in the right places and I go I'll hear her voice for a couple seconds and I have to immediately turn it off because for as much as I might be thinking oh man was it that bad as soon as you hear it you're like oh yes the hard part is knowing that on the other side of the table whether they're delusional or whether that they're uh manipulative mind needs to think of you this way in order to make their narrative make sense there's a similar level of that feeling of you being the villain in their story and even not on this interpersonal level of being a romantic situation one of the harsh truths of our reality is that for as much as we're the hero of our own story right which is apparently one of the unique ways our human minds work where it's almost as if we're the star of our own movie going on here even knowing that you're trying to be the best version of yourself and that you're trying to be good you are always the villain in someone else's whether it's justified or true or not that's their truth right you know it's their experience of you for whatever reason is that you're their nemesis it's tough this whole thing is tough. 
And so this is why the fact that there's no such thing as should, right? We have no guidebook that's like an ultimate truth. I know some of you, and I'm not trying to be critical of religion. I know a lot of folks feel um, that we do have some guides. They don't have chapters to deal with this particular level of trauma, this particular type of situation. I don't even know what to title this entry, you know, like um, experience versus expectation, maybe, because I think one of the hardest parts of accepting where I'm at for me is having had this preconceived notion of what life would be like at this age and that it certainly wouldn't have been including starting over and just like being young and watching these movies and seeing these characters going through things that like, you know, you think you understand from a story perspective, but having had no life context to put to it, to compare it to, I remember hearing things about like, you know, people getting divorced or families breaking up or, you know, uh, people losing their job and having to start over and you can't really fathom what that's like when you're a kid who still doesn't have to pay for every meal that they eat, you know, and doesn't have to buy every pair of shoes that they wear, doesn't have to worry about replacing their clothes when they start becoming too worn out or buying new clothes to start a new job or paying rent and utilities that seem like, really, how could it be this much? Um... And it's not until you're there that you're like, how did people do this? You know, I mean, maybe it was easier in the times before now, before all the inflation and before, you know, the economy being sort of restructured against us after a pandemic, you know, and and even that, like a pandemic, you know, who would have expected that in our lifetimes? And, you know, you look back and people say, oh, well, you know, every hundred years, things repeat themselves. We had that Spanish flu in 1918. And so in 2019 to have the pandemic, it's sort of like right on, right on course. But yeah, in, in 1918, people just like understood, okay, there's a thing going on. We got to stay home. We got to wear masks. We got to stay away from other people. In, in 2019, we're like, we got the internet. We have access to information that says this might not be just an act of nature <laughs> you know this could there's conspiracy theories abound about what this really is and you know it's hard to find a place of peace in the midst of all this you know there are some folks that just that alone the idea that there's not as much truth being bandied about as we would like is enough to make every day hard and, and to wake up in a panic. And then you couple that with like a personal crisis of identity and existence. And uh, it's really, I feel like there's not enough words. There's not a, there, there, ha there hasn't been a phrase to describe what this is like. Um, So maybe that's part of our journey here is to kind of uh, <laughs> figure that out. And um, I think that's why I just called it a, uh, a diary of recovery because personally, uh, 
going on a sobriety journey at the same time, going on a personal health journey at the same time. It really is recovering from the fact that the nuke went off, that my life melted down. And, you know, I'll always come back to that. You know, there was a little part of my mind that before I took the step in this direction, like, I think I saw a a clip on Facebook the other day to kind of put this into context. And it was someone saying... You know, let's say today was your last day, or let's say, imagine yourself on your deathbed. Your breathing has become shallow and weak, and you know that you only have moments left to live. And as this is going on, now again, please... Oh, the Jeep is back. whatever religious context to this that you would need to in order to sort of relate to it but let's say you're you're lying there and as you can feel the moments coming to an end you know you're coming to the place where this is going to be the end the room fills with a brilliant bright light and an angel comes to you and says you know you can come with me <laughs> or you can go back And you can pick a point in your life to go back to and relive it all with all the knowledge that you have now and do things differently. Where would you go back to? Where would you start over from? And from what I understand, the point of this was to be living every day as if it was your last because tomorrow is never promised and to to be able to live a regret-free life because, oh, it was, would you be worrying about all the things that you were worrying about then with what you know now, you know? And it's an interesting concept because no matter how much we're emotionally educated about it, right? No matter how much guidance we get from friends, family, spiritual leaders, what have you. When you're in it, when you're on the battlefield of life, things don't feel trivial, (laughs) you know? Now, maybe they will once you're on your deathbed, but, you know, in the middle of it, I don't feel like we should be as criticized or as critical of ourselves for worrying about the things we do. You know, that's, it's kind of like where the big of the things we can't control is meeting the things that we can control, right? It's this idea that like, well, why are you worried about that? Oh, because if I don't get my credit score up, then I can't get this and then I can't get that. And if I don't get my debt down, I can't do this and I can't do that. And it's like, well, that could not matter tomorrow, you know? But at the same time, today it does. So how do you find that healthy balance or a medium somewhere in between those two? Because that's where the freedom from all this apparently lives. And, you know, so I kind of feel like that's where I'm at now is really like I would like to find that because I feel exhausted by all this. There are days I don't. There are days I feel really good, you know, and even... I find that when I start to feel like this, if I go for one of my five-mile walks, you know, it starts to 
starts to help break me out of that a little bit. But in general, worrying about so much is so exhausting. And then I keep going back to, well, what would that guy on marooned on the island, you know? I mean, maybe he doesn't have credit scores to worry about, but he does have to figure out, okay, how am I going to eat tomorrow? How do I avoid being eaten by a lion today and also eat today and also get water? And you know what I mean? And it's sort of, <laughs> sort of like even if we didn't have all of the complexity, we would still have the basic. And so there's always going to be a need for like living the day to day. That requires the work And when you're Finding your mind Still occupied By the how did this happen And Why do I still miss them And what would be different If I had stayed Could it have been different and all of the experts, that's one of the areas where they start to really say, it wouldn't have been different. It would have never been better. It would have always been the same. Can you live with the idea of resolving to walk, to, to live your life walking on eggshells? Is that a better life than doing the work to find the life that you actually always had the potential to find? Or the life you truly envisioned I mean that's the other thing too is You know I had a very different vision Of what life would be like Taking the journey I took Making the choices I made You know quitting my job And moving to be with this person It wasn't just about being with them It was about the life we were going to create together It was about growing As an individual within that To be more self-sufficient To have my business be doing better To be providing as much As she was And also being able to Alleviate some of the pressure That she was living with And It was supposed to be a partnership You know And when it's not Going that way Once you're taking the steps Once you're down the path And it's not Leading to what you thought it was going to Why is it so difficult for us To not use see that as the reason To rethink Or maybe extricate Or you know and This is why there is No should This is why not having Some kind of a guidebook that tells us What to do when this happens Is hard <laughs> You know in some ways, I really, really, really wish that there was one of these things, you know, and there's a part of me that really thinks like if at the end, when you pass on from this life, you wind up waking up out of some kind of a pod and you find out that we're actually extraterrestrials participating in some kind of giant virtual simulation Sort of like, geez, <laughs> why couldn't I have been one of the yacht ones? You know, what what cheat code did I need to be on a super yacht surrounded by supermodels living a very, like, lavish life? But is that happiness, you know? I don't know. I think that's partly where I'm stuck. This expectation versus experience and what is happiness. And I know that's different for all of us. And I know it's cliche, but it does seem the more 
I move forward through all this that your happiness really does have to start with you and it might even start with like starting with you to the point of you have to decide what happiness is you know I mean right now for me happiness would be not having to worry so much happiness would be a certain level of security but it would also be the not being so lonely as well but there's also a certain element of you know if it's this hard to figure myself out is being in a relationship where there is an emotional overlap and a certain level of I don't want to say dependency but you know prioritizing of that connection is that possible while also still fulfilling yourself and I think a lot of times we get hung up on the fulfilling part requiring that other person that we don't really look at whether or not it's as necessary as we think it is and now is this also because we're told by movies and stuff that we're supposed to be with someone else oh look now there's a loud truck you know is this because stories and fairy tales and movies and history books are telling us we're supposed to be pairing up and procreating and all that I mean yeah it's complicated I'm not loving the uh, the way that it must feel being on that deserted island by yourself I'm not loving the idea of coming back to a house with no furniture in it but at the same time I'm still not sure how I'm going to get to a place where I trust connecting with somebody like that. And ultimately, too, I'm really not sure how to get to this place where I'm not thinking about my ex ever anymore. You know, I'm starting to, there's a certain level of, I feel like it's wearing off a little bit, like the setback might be finally receding back into the ocean a little. But it's tough. You know, I, I I don't think I ever realized as a kid that I didn't really truly want to know what it felt like <laughs> to know the meaning behind these lyrics and these movie scenes and these concepts. But this is the journey. So... We keep working, we keep doing the work. You know, the past lurks. I think this is a little bit of an example of that. And uh, we live through the nightmare to chase the dream. I think that's another thing, too, is that the dream obviously evolves with us, you know? So I think it's the idea that when we do get to that end, that we're going to be willing to say, yeah, no, take me away, bro. Take, take me away, Angel. I'm good with what I did. I'm good with how it went. I'm good with where I'm at. So that's going to be, I think, a new focus for me is the...
think the universe is telling me that I've done enough recording for today because it's like Grand Central up on this street all of a sudden. Uh, I really just want to go to the beach. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. I want to go to the beach and not feel guilty about doing it and not feel like, oh my God, I should be worried about something else. I should be doing something else right now. I know for me, happiness definitely includes the beach. <laughs> so time to, time to get myself there. In any case, I know this was a little bit of a mind-scrambly, rambly episode. All of them are, to a degree. But um, I always want to thank you for being on this journey with me. What the hell? <laughs> what the hell was that? Um, if anything I'm saying is... Uh, ringing true for you or you find yourself identifying with any of this journey or is um, bringing up things that you want to talk about please feel free to share at hollow9podcast at gmail.com that's the word hollow the number nine I-N-E all one word put uh, feeling it healing it in the subject line or recovery something to let me know it's for this show as opposed to the other shows we've got going on and just keep in mind, you know, you're not alone. And uh, checking in here is almost like attending a uh, global AA meeting that you don't have to share at because somebody's doing the sharing for all of us right now. But feel free, you're welcome and invited to. We will continue to have more folks sharing their stories and we'll also be bringing on some of the experts to help you know, ground some of these concepts. So it's not just some, you know, scarred, heartbroken guy rambling all the time. There will be some actual value, some knowledge being dropped here. But in any case, until next time, I'm David Clone. You've been listening to a production of the Hollow Nine Network. Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery, featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes.